0: where my handle is at Turkey Hitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 205, Turkey Dogging Seminar from the 2018 NWTF Convention. And I am your host, and the guy who... Busted his rear end to get planning done this weekend. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute, but right now we are 163 days, 10 hours, 40 minutes, and 29 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So this past weekend, I had one more work day to do at the hunting camp, the new hunting club, and I went. And did that Saturday. We built some shooting houses. And then Sunday morning, I went and bush hogged my property in Chilton County, just south of Birmingham. And I couldn't, but I couldn't finish what I had to do because I had to get back to Birmingham by noon for my niece's birthday party. So Monday morning, I loaded back up in the truck. I went down to the property, got everything disked, seeded, fertilized, and limed. And now, I'll wait for rain. So listen, we're going to jump right into the meat of this week's episode. I have for you guys the recording of the turkey dogging seminar from the 2018 NWTF Convention and Sports Show in Nashville, and I'm playing that for you guys today, so we are right around the corner from fall turkey season starting for most of you guys i know it has already started for some of you and that's exciting so i want to cover another fall turkey hunting topic and that is turkey dogging so here's the turkey dogging seminar from the 2018 nwtf convention and sports show and i will see you guys on the other side
1: i assume that most of your honor Uh, avid turkey doggers, or interested in turkey dogging, or um, opposed to turkey dogging, (laughs) and uh, you're welcome as well, because we, I think all these guys here, um, you know, we do want to stress that the legends are the dogs, and that we're fortunate enough to have dogs that do this and do what we love, so. um, To my immediate right, of course, is Marlon Watkins, uh, J.T. Byrne, who's the son of John Byrne, and I uh, got over there is Scott Bayshore, with the other microphone. They're all working. Yep, thanks. Uh, so, you know, just to start out, how many people are having turkey daughters? So many of you. And what category would you be in, Mr. Paul? <laughs> I liked it, I tried it. Tried it, liked it?
2: Uh, it's, yeah, it yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: And of course, the whole principle is to um, train a dog uh, that has uh, a strong prey drive, and to put that dog into a situation where they're going to find turkeys. And on finding turkeys, they're going to scatter that flock. Um, with the burn dogs, of course, they bark on the flush, bark on the scatter, bark on the break. And of course, you know you hear wing beats and and uh, putting as well if the flock is close enough. But then you set up and uh, attempt to call those birds back to the gun. Uh, so that's that's the main principle. Uh, there are many variations, many different breeds. And in J.T.'s case, with his dad, uh, that was a, you know, the interest there, of course, was to breed a turkey dog with the intention and the high probability that it would do these things. So that's, that's really J.T.'s and his dad's contribution to the uh, to the tradition of turkey dogging. Um, know. I think when a lot of us became aware of it, I think it was 1983, Larry Mueller wrote the article for Outdoor Life, uh, and he had met with your dad. And uh, so the word was out, you know, and and for all of us, most of us here read that article, uh, became immediately interested in it. And uh, it's safe to say that in the coming years, uh, with JT and his dad partnering with uh, Pete Claire at Turkey Trot Acres that what we have now probably wouldn't exist because that was a situation where it, it was kind of a perfect deal where John Byrne, JT, the turkey dog line were put in a situation where those dogs would uh, get some attention, clients would uh, get interested in the sport of turkey dogging. Some of them, many of them, went on to become turkey doggers uh, to own Byrne dogs. Uh, some of them went on to uh, continue it with other lines, other breeds, uh, but at the time, for some of you, pro- you probably remember, at the time, there were 11 states where it was legal uh, to hunt turkeys in the fall with dogs, and now we're pushing 30 all these years later. So, you know, it's safe to say that uh, the good things that have happened probably wouldn't have happened. You know, there might have been a different situation involved where... Those, those positive things about turkey dogging and the tradition would have moved forward, but I don't know. I don't know that that would have been the case. I think it was a big part of it. There was a lot more. you got two. Jt needs two. So um. <laughs> go ahead, Bud. But
3: there was a lot of states that Dad would get calls from from people that were were they just couldn't wait until they got a fall season. They never had a fall season. They always had a
0: spring season,
3: and they weren't waiting for the population of their state to be big enough that they could have a fall season. And then it took off from there when, when they got introduced to a fall season or while they were getting the fall season. A lot of the states, people pushed to get a dog into that state. So and it's not only our dogs. There's a lot of good dogs out there. There's, there's a lot of friend, friends of mine back home who use uh, Spaniels. Britney's and, and everything. So any dog that does what you want it to do is a good dog. It's just not our dogs. Um, alone. Um, we we didn't invent the dog. We invented our dogs. There's still a
2: lot of good dogs out there. So. Um, and and any time that you can enjoy what you can enjoy with the dog and the birds and everything and put it together, I think it's a good thing. So. Go for that.
1: And of course some of you are probably very active in doing it and that's an important part of it. I know that you know uh, everybody on this panel, including myself, I was fortunate to be in a situation where I was uh, writing about it for Turkey Call Magazine at the time, Turkey and Turkey Hunting Magazine and a lot of the other magazines that would publish on turkey dogging. So I was the man in the middle. I was able to kind of get the word out. I, did it. I then began to do it myself uh, with my uh, English centers. I was fortunate to have several dogs that JT's dad would have described as renegade English setters. They ran big, Uh, they barked on the scatter, they did not hold point, and of course, I was not disappointed in that. Uh, I love upland bird hunting with dogs that do point, but I also like turkey dogging with, you know, a pointing breed that actually scatters fox. So, uh, but that was just a byproduct of hunting with JT, his dad, and Pete Claren, and eventually Marlon and Scott. So, I kind of came at it from a little bit of a different direction, but it's directly related to what, what was evolving at the time. Now, just to back up a little bit, uh, for those of you who uh, appreciate and read turkey hunting literature, you'll know that the, the first three books uh, published, the uh, McElpenny Jordan book and the, uh, the two subsequent books, uh, the Simon Everett and the Henry Davis book, all include turkey dog. So, um, you know, there's sort of two views. Uh, nowadays. Some people think it's a recent phenomenon and this is kind of a modern deal, but uh, turkey hunting literature has plenty of it, either chapters or entire books, as in the case of the uh, Simon Everett book, the entire book is dedicated to it. Went, turkey it went hunting. back into the early 1900 Yeah. in the state of Virginia. Um, <clears throat> Virginia's kind
3: of, down along the coastal, from say Appomattox East, is very flat. They had great big huge of groves back then. And there were families that developed dogs and they wouldn't let the dogs get out of the family. But that was what their dogs were for. If a family member wanted a dog, they got a pup. And if they nobody wanted any pups, they would um, put down all the pups that they didn't want and wouldn't let them get out of the family. There was a family called Burris back then that had great dogs. And <coughs> it evolved on from that and then the region that we live in is all mountain, and Dad said that there had to be a better way than trying to get up there in the morning and listen to them come all the roof and try to bust them up. So he had heard of dogs, and he got a a plotter from a fellow that would bark on turkeys during the day and run
2: coons at night. And that's how he got started with with our line. But he had a
3: English pointer that would um, flush birds and bark. And he would still point quail, but he wasn't as. After Dad got to turkey hunting, quail wasn't as important to him as turkey So it went from there. That's more. It, it's not a new thing. It's, it was it was way back into late 1800s, early 1900, that they
1: were doing that. And the most important thing you know, as we uh, just mentioned, is I think. As JT was saying it wasn't new, but I think at the time, with just 11 states uh, legalizing turkey dogging, it was probably in jeopardy of maybe passing on as a tradition. I mean, the Virginias were strong. Uh, all of us on, you know, here in front of you were active in sharing articles on turkey dogging or talking about it. Marlon was very active in Ohio and other states. All these guys were in the Northeast. Uh, I would send. Now, when I started back in the 90s, as a result of knowing these guys, I would hunt Vermont, where fall turkey dog was described as a byproduct of fall up on bird hunting. So that just meant if your Springer or Setter or German Shortheaded Pointer or Lab would bust a flock and be able to hunt. But uh, New Hampshire was not legal, Maine was not legal. Uh, it wasn't legal. So as a result of kind of sharing that information and talking to the people in the know, there were some active people who enacted legislation to make it possible. Uh, during that period of time, between those 11 states and pushing 30 now, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Kentucky, of course, is uh, it's now legal turkey dog and then 30 other states. you know, Or almost 30, I think it's 29 last count. Some of those, it's actually legal to hunt with turkey dogs in the spring. Uh, by default, some of those states, but I'm not sure if any of us agree with that. Uh, it's a different deal in the spring, in the spring of course. So, um, But it is legal just as a by default, I think. I don't know if anybody practices it. Uh, none of us do. Uh, so, um, well, I guess the other interesting thing is <clears throat> the development
2: of getting it legalized It's not different. Ohio, we worked for two years fall season. And in two years, we had a dog season. Wisconsin it was a little difficult because they decided to give them a, a temporary area that they could experiment with dogs, and nobody complained about it, so they finally legalized it. Pennsylvania, they tried, you know, Scott, and a lot of them went to testify. They tried to do it through the division, and the vision turned them down and the legislature yep. but it only takes a handful of people to yeah. work together to
1: get it done and you know you talked. i was born and raised in pennsylvania grew up turkey hunting there and now live in maine uh you would talk to some of the powers that be at the pennsylvania game commission they would say well there's no tradition for fall turkey dogging in pennsylvania and then of course being a nosy writer i'd say well what about you know you can use a 22 Hornet in the fall, okay, and they come back. Well, it's legal. Rifle right? well, hunting in the fall is a is a legal tradition in Pennsylvania, so which is absolutely true. I shot my first turkey with a 22 Hornet as a kid in Pennsylvania at 15. So I mean, that was that's how far I've come, um, <laughs> hunting those ridges. But um, you know, so. To Marlon's point, everybody else's, uh, you sort of have to, we sort of have to be vigilant with it. Marlon made a point that it's, it was not that hard to enact legislation. The numbers of participation, I think this is part of the problem, or the challenge, is that the people who are all turkey doggers love it, are passionate about it, would prefer to do it over anything else. But the numbers aren't big, so if, if you look at the people, the powers that be, they may not feel that it's even necessary to legislate it because they're just not big numbers. You know, it's... It's not uh, deer hunting legislation, for instance. It's not waterfowl hunting legislation. It's not spring turkey hunting legislation. So it's, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, we love it. Those of us who do it. So, But, you know, part of the vigilant part, it's kind of interesting being a, a writer who, sort of the man in the middle who writes about it. I will occasionally get people, I had a guy recently uh, send me a note from the state of Maine. He says, you know, fall turkey dogging in Maine is not legal. I said, well, it's been illegal since the fall 2007. He said, no, I asked the warden. He said well, it wasn't legal. And I said, well, if you go on a website right now, you'll see it's legal. If you look at your print regulations, it's legal. So, you know, not knocking the warden, but it's so, you know, on the edge, so much a, sort of a subculture that the warden in the state of Maine did not know that the turkey dog was legal. So, and I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying it's that's just as an example show that even the wardens might not know that so um uh,
2: we've oh, yeah. well, one of the reasons that it's not hard to get legal out of for every hundred hunters that we gain we lose 115. so states are spraying i mean our sports you know our, you know, our grandchildren you know, may not be able to hunt you know we need to and,
1: you know, uh, in addition to that, you know, we're, we're kids or new people coming into fall turkey hunting as a tradition. It's a great way to introduce them. You've got the dog action. You've got the lively nature of a fall turkey hunt when when birds are scattered. Uh, people who don't do it are a little confused about what is actually done. What does the dog do? And, um, you know, there are so many myths about fall turkey Hunting, you'll have people say they don't call in the fall, they don't gobble in the fall, you can't call a fall gobbler in the fall, etc., 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 and we all know differently. Those of us who do it know it, those of us who don't do it, you know, don't, tell, don't tell too many people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's part That's part of it, too. It, it, comes, down to, it comes down to educating people. Uh, they'll say, you know, we don't like to kill young birds, so we don't hunt them in the fall. We don't have to kill a young bird. You can call them up. You can have a young person kill a young bird. Uh, it's perfectly legal to kill a young hen, but you don't have to. You can hunt fall gobblers, and a lot of us hunt fall gobblers and enjoy it. And, and uh, consider it a success just to have found a gobbler flock, to break the gobbler flock, to get the gobbler hammering and gobbling and gobbler helping. Uh, I mean, that's that's the success of fall turkey. I mean, that's the fun part of it. Uh, I'm sure we like to kill them, but, uh, you know, the, the deal is... You and the dog and the dog scattering the flock is really the success. I mean that's that's where you I no telling You
4: you uh, touched on a really good point regarding children as a great way to get kids involved because man, kids love dogs and most of the time I know that the, the the I use the burn dogs and uh, they are just loving people loving dogs and it's uh, you know I've taken a lot of kids through the years and continue to take the same kids as they grow up and they just look forward to spending time. They always ask me you and know, talk, how's Jenny doing or how's Meggie doing, you know, or Ellie and, and uh, so it, it's it developed a special relationship there too. With, uh, I said kids just love being out there with them and it kind of if it's boring or something's not happening, you know, they still want them, the doll will come back and check in and they'll pet on it and you just keep on going. So it's a great, Great way to, and by the way, I'm, I'm I'm glad you also mentioned that the dogs being the legends. Now the gentleman to my left, I consider legends. More my more dogs, than my than dogs, than my than dogs than are the than legends than as, far than as, than than as far as I'm concerned. My Jenny, <laughs> Keith, Ellie, uh, you know, they're all very dear to me, and uh, they're the ones. I just simply am the handler. I'm just out there letting them do what what uh, Mr. John, J.T. have into these dogs, and I'm just fortunate to have them and uh, spend time with them.
3: I think we need to move this a little bit different.
4: Time to some where where do you want to go?
3: I think we need to talk and discuss on um, what the birds are doing now versus what the book said they used to do.
1: Oh, that's fascinating. You know, uh, <laughs> just from my point of view, and then we'll go to yours. As a writer, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and until the year 2000, there were more fall turkey hunters than spring turkey hunters. I grew up in a situation where they legalized spring in 1968. When my dad started, he was a fall turkey hunter, and he used to say, "You know, it feels like I'm breaking the law out there, Steve." You know, Uh, I first turkey hunted in the fall in 1971, and at age 12, and I was a fall turkey hunter. Uh, But then I started a spring turkey hunt. Uh, Pennsylvania has kind of come in a situation where I would say that Pennsylvania fall turkey hunters probably had an edge because fall was considered superior to spring. Spring was like that old adage that it was cheating. You saw this, you know, in Henry Davis's book. I mean, that it was unfair in the spring to to call a gobbler or a lovesick gobbler. So, um, but the rest of the country is is really not the Virginia, is not Pennsylvania, not some of these areas, not you know some of the other areas of the country. But there are all sorts of um, myths about fall turkey hunting and dogging. So when I was starting out writing for Turkey Call, uh, Gene Smith, the great first editor of Turkey Call, he understood it, he was a fall turkey hunter, he was a turkey hunter, very passionate, great writer, editor. Uh, But some of the other magazines, when I'd start talking about scattering birds, you know, calling up gobblers, some of those editors were like, no, this is not what I've heard. This is not what I've read.
3: Yeah, they, they were more, in in a lot of the states that started spring turkey hunting first, it was a sin to fall turkey hunting, where yeah. we started fall turkey hunting in
2: Virginia, and the Virginias
3: first, and then spring came later. Spring turkey hunting didn't come legal until like in the mid-50s back up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's changed and now you're seeing more of a push because more more people turkey hunt in the spring back home than they do in the fall. Yeah. But uh, the population will will sustain both. There's room for both of us. Yeah. And uh, we should keep going. But what I was wanting to allude to is back in the early days of writing about fall turkey hunting, mm-hmm. the writers would all say, Well, you could go out Flush a flock of turkeys, and within an hour, hour and a half, they would start calling. Well, times change. Oh, uh, we got cell phones. Turkey's gonna learn how to text. But uh, uh, I'll sit there sometimes four, four and a half, five, five and a half hours waiting for a flock of birds to come back, and between. I don't get out in the morning like I used to. I used to think if I wasn't in the woods by nine o'clock, the day was shot, we weren't going to do anything, you might as well not even go to the woods. Well, in the days that I could do that, there was three people on the farm. That was my father, my brother, and myself. And I would get up and feed my two herds of cows, and then I had the rest of the day off. I'd go do what I wanted in December. So they would take care of theirs, and we'd go on. But after losing my brother and my father, I've got to stay there take it takes to 10, 30 sometimes to get the gas in. Depending on where we're going to hunt, it might be an hour drive time, or 15 minute drive time. So we're not getting the birds busted before they feed. Them. So they're not as in, in a bigger hurry to get back together if they've got full crops. And you know, there's there's several other things. You've got the coyotes as you see it. More roaming house dogs, the population sprawls out, and subdivisions come in, um, everybody has a dog, and they have an acre and a half of land, and old Rover's sitting on the front porch at
2: 5.30 when they leave in the morning, and at 5.30 when they get home in the evening, old Rover's still sitting on the front porch, but where was the other ten and a half? and <laughs>
3: so, These birds get used to being busted, and it takes them longer, and it's time to get back together, and that was something I get, I get questioned a lot, and even by a lot of the, the, my friends that have dogs and hunt. Well, how long are you sitting on these birds? And um, obviously, I stay there all day. If I've got a flock of birds busted, why am I going to leave busted birds to go look for another flock of birds? Let's just play this hand out and go from there. And then people tell me, well, I can't sit there Mike still there, I was talking to him when we had a dog, and we were talking in the spell here in December. He says, how do you sit there for five and a half hours and it's 20 degrees or 30 degrees? No well, you yeah. a And I'll tell you a little secret I learned when I worked in Alaska for a while. There, in World War II, there was a sleeping bag made by, for the Germans called the German Sniper Sleeping Bag. It's a sleeping bag with sleepers on well. And you can get them now through Sportsman's Guide. And <clears throat> they're a great thing. This German just brought a dog in right there. And uh, she's just the right size for what I'm going to tell you. Um, you get that German sniper sleeping bag, and you get that 20-degree day, and you unzip that thing, you stuff the dog in the bottom and zip it up got instant heater.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
3: we put our dogs in sacks or bags and, uh, <laughs> and it just our dogs are predominantly white. My dog breed is and it helps with the camouflage of the dog and it gives me some more control of the dog. And uh, Even in the sleep sleeper bag, I'll put the dog in the bag because they'll get to squirming and warm. and they get too hot, you can unzip it, open it up, let the dog get some air, the birds get some power you can uh, zip it back up and all that. But uh, that's just some points that I think we need to kind of get on. And, and, you know, just
1: as a kind of a sidebar to that, J.T.'s dad, John, of course, developed the original concept by going to J.T.'s uh, mother, Miss Sue, and saying, you know, I need a bag with a zipper, camouflage, and I can keep the dogs in. As you know now, we don't even talk about it. Everybody's got a bag; a different bag that they put their dog in. But that's actually a John Byrne, Miss Sue Byrne creation back in the day. Uh, we were talking about getting the dog to settle. Some of you Boykin handlers, you know, you, I'll see photos of a, a brown Boykin settled right next to the collar, and that's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah, And I was telling him earlier, Turk was a trained dog. And he was just the kind of dog that if you were on a dove hunt and went like, him like a little young titty little girl, he was alone. I'm hungry, you <laughs> know? <coughs> but I never could stop him from doing his head like this. You know? And finally, it dawned on me when that head stopped in that direction because that's where the turkey was coming from. And I mean, I disagree with these bad people. I'll just say this to you. I'd like to have seen the man who could put perk in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> to well, that point, going to a wrestling match a
1: minute,
5: I
3: really got
1: To that point, you know, and again, uh, all of this is, is coming from that original um, Larry Mueller article on Out Life in the early 80s with John Byrne, JT's dad. I mean, uh, those of us who do it read that article and immediately kind of caught our attention. And we we now do it. But the bagging thing, you were asking, I mean, my setters, uh, I've had setters. When a setter gets to the point where he or she's going from being a puppy to running big and you're not, quote unquote, correcting that or training them not to run big, a turkey dog is going to encourage that behavior, right? We want to see it. So I've had... Uh, I've had two centers that were sired by the 1996 National Grouse Field Trial Champion. And they were dogs, renegade dogs that ran big and scattered turkeys, one of which barked on the scatter. Uh, But you can't tell that to the breeder who had the 1996 National Grouse Field Trial Champion sired my dogs. Uh, My Luna was a rescue dog from California. Put over the fence in the middle of the night, immediately postpartum, uh, 100% setter, white setter. Uh, she does the whole deal. She runs big, she barks, she scatters, you know. It's, um, I think it's, a, it's, it's not the burn dog approach, which is a, a deliberately intentional line with plot hound, setter, and pointer that is going to raise your odds of having a turkey dog. I think that's the best case scenario. You can rely on the fact that you're going to have a puppy that's going to do it. And I've been fortunate to hunt with so many different... I may have hunted with more burned turkey dogs than you. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, so my deal is a little bit different, but it's directly related to the fact of understanding how JT and his dad and Pete and Marlon and Scott do it. So, now getting them into the bag, the, my big running uh Senator Midge, she was absolutely the best turkey dog I will ever have. Uh, following the burn thinking of getting the puppy in the bag when they're very little, when they're getting in the turkey scent, uh, you know she scattered uh, turkeys at five and a half months, and committing to that, selling them in the bag, season by season, killing birds, uh, scattering birds that are getting together. What Midge would do after a scatter, she'd come right back to my setup. Are you setting up? Which tree are you picking? Are you setting up? Come on. And then she'd start pulling that the bag. Get me in that bag. Get me zipped up. And then she'd settle right down. And I think it was because she either knew that the turkeys would come back. I'd kill one, I'd miss one. She'd get an opportunity to scatter one. She'd get an opportunity to smell turkeys. And by the end of it, and that's the heartbreak of having any dog, once they get it, she got it so well and then she'd be gone so but that's part of the training that's part of the enjoyment and you know she's absolutely a white dog um what i used to do yeah you, know, you forget stuff turkey hunting and, and i i'd have you know i i don't use like a face mask i use like these gators to pull up and do neck so I, I with two of my white dogs i'd slide that thing over their head it was like little bow peep you know or come down like this just slide right over her head and then I uh, have it in in the zipper camera bag. So, you know, you, if you do it enough, that's you know. Yeah, I
4: don't know if there's people here that don't are are totally new to this whole concept, but the whole idea is to have the dog go out there, break the birds, and then when and also I'll get into or just mentioned about the electronics. We started running. Try, try coming. I I I I I I I the Garmin uh, GPS is on the dog. means uh, that they can get out there quite a ways from you. You have a uh, breed there, you know. JT, these guys are a lot more uh, computer savvy no, than I am. No, I, I just it's like the fact that I can look. I, I can look at my reader, my app, whatever you call it. You hold your hand, you pull it up, the It'll say Jenny or Meg is 300 yards. Northeast, and it kind of gave me a little bit of peace of mind, number one, but also uh, they, can, they can pull it. And I always, my dogs probably don't go out quite as far as a lot of guys. A lot of places I hunt uh, are, you know, you may have 150 acres here, 250 acres there, what have you. And I've always kind of kept them a little tighter, I guess, to talk with me. I know J.P. dogs run pretty big, so in that case, it really comes in handy. He can pull a screen up, look at the screen, and you can look on that screen and see if that dog starts doing figure eights or circles or something, and and if you couldn't hear the dog barking, you know that that dog, by looking at that screen, had busted turkeys at that spot. I can hear them,
3: my hands got to where I can't pinpoint. mm And the GPS will let you, the GPS will let you pinpoint so much better than what you used to could do and we'll and before that we just wild ass guests take off in the direction that the dogs were barking, the turkeys come flying over from. And it's very important that you get as close to the original flush site as you can get. I mean, I like especially on long beards. You can be off on long beards fifty feet and they'll walk by you and won't pay any attention to you. They'll just a, do a what I call a walk-by, I'm going this way, and if you're over there where that happened at, then they'll stop and they'll come in, you know, you'll be fine, but you're not Well, a lot of the times you won't get him to come that extra 50 feet that you need to get the shot, but um, GPS, like a friend of mine that bear hunt says, I wouldn't recommend it, but I wouldn't go to the woods valley, it's like MasterCard. <laughs> It's, it's the greatest thing that's come along in a long ways, a long time from that. So, and it's a peace of mind too. I had a dog one time that she was about a five hundred yard at a cast, and we were hunting a piece of property, and there was a train track went through it. And I heard the train whistle blowing, and it was the first year we ran GPS. And Belle, she would take off and go, and I wouldn't know where she was. And I heard that train, and I looked down on the GPS. And Lo and behold, she's across railroad track, And I started calling for her, and the train was coming, and she wasn't turning. So I just quit calling for her. Well, the train come, and I watched on the GPS, and the whole time that train was going by, she was doing a hundred-yard pace up and down the track, trying to figure to get back over to it. As Soon as the train went by, she came. So uh, they'll help you in instances
2: like that, because you're wondering, well, where's your dog? So you, your column Mm -hmm. go from there. The only thing I was going to add is, we've coined that a computer break. (laughs) (laughs) And you can read it like a signature on that map. You see them going in, breaking the birds, taking a little group this way, coming back, taking them
3: that way, coming back. It's neat as that. And at any time, if any of you all have any questions in the audience, please. Feel free to stop, so we'll try
1: to answer the question. What are the different dog breeds that we have, whether they're droppers, you know, pointer-setter, plot-down, pointer-setter variations, or We're just straight-up Boykins? Boytails. Boytails. Of course, the Boykin, the original, was one of the original turkey dogs, bred yep. right in the Carolinas, where you cannot call turkey
2: hunt anymore.
1: hunt anymore. That's one of the ironies of modern life, right? But, I mean, that, that was a, an original turkey uh, dog, right for that. my bathroom,
2: my she was the
5: mother of the first boycott.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, any other breeds? No, I had a short hair. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: had a short hair with the turkey dog, too. And I think that... Uh, it's like holding a bobcat in the bag. <laughs> well, some... I mean, she never started because she was four years old, so she wasn't puppy.
5: My it was a trip. And, and I just put a camo cover over her, not a bag, but right. she'd
4: stand with that she would do. Well, that's what we do a lot. Of. You were lucky you could do that because we had a short that that she had to go off about 150 yards or take her to the truck and lay on her if they were 150 yards
1: because she'd want to get over to where the turkeys were starting to fall again. You always had a shooter and you had a... Dog, dog holder. <laughs> and,
3: and another thing we haven't touched on either is is the characteristics of the brakes and you can I know with some of my dogs I've I accused them wrong and then have to apologize to them when we'd be hunting we get into a flock of longbeards and a longbeard hates to fly He absolutely hates to fly so you think you're looking at a dog running
1: running and running and running, you're going, oh, my God, that dog's running a darn deer. And
3: the next thing you know, you see this big old black neck come up off the side of the mouth and go sailing off, chasing the neck down and another one go and another one go and one and is a flock of longbeards. And where the young turkeys will hit the air quick uh, and they, it doesn't take a long to get busted up. But longbeards, they'll stretch it out, I've seen them stretch it out, three, 400 yards with the dog on No, so, Luke, a squirrel, okay. a yep. She's a healer and beagle, I think. Okay. Back home, there's a lot of boys that use cow dogs. Their cow dogs were on flashcards. Oh, it was a friend of turkey hunter. And if you were a family member of the North Carolina the Turkey Nets Association, you
5: Anyway, one of the things Mark used to do, he had a razor shock knife. He killed a turkey, gobbled his feet, and cut that head off and gave it the Lee. I said, Mark, you shouldn't give that turkey the lee. I said, it's pride, Paul. Yep. said,
3: watch the bad thing lee. That was a real thing. Yeah, we, we, we encourage people when they ask what they need to do with the dog, um, I tell people all the time, if you want to be positive and for reinforcement is we open up and get the lungs and the liver and the gizzard and that sort of stuff and the heart and feed it to the young dog because it's a reward and then they'll, they'll realize
1: more and more and more it's positive reinforcement. But they're part of the hunt, they're, part, they're getting part of the reward. Your dad used to talk about a a wolf masticating the food and giving it to the pups? Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We start with the pups at at three three weeks old. We start the first solid food they get, it comes off of our fingers. So that we're transferring the allegiance to the mother to us and and work from there.
1: I got to hear about the Blue Heeler Beagle. (laughs) <laughs> so you're you're a you're a fall turkey hunter, I imagine, who wanted to do the fall turkey dogging. Found a dog that would do it. Yeah. Couldn't uh, live without it.
5: She, she hasn't done much turkey hunting with me yet, but I uh, she's a service dog. Okay. So uh, I I got her initially to be a shed dog actually, and uh, she's... I'm pretty good with that. Hasn't drug anything giant back to me yet, but uh Dad does pretty good with the eyes on the old chest. Um, but she, I haven't hunted over her yet, but I have scattered turkeys and called them back with her just sitting with me while I was scouting, like, bow hunting and stuff like that. And, uh, man, I grew up bunny hunting and training bunny dogs and uh, the turkeys thing has always intrigued me. I've tried it scattering. You watch an idiot try and run through the woods being shot <laughs> and chase a turkey not and fly. I mean, yeah. you only need to do it a couple of times before you realize that ain't the hardest thing. There's a better thing. way to do this. <laughs> right. And uh, it's fun to see. I, I think uh, I think with the TV and just the, just how the entire hunting thing has gone in the last several years. It's uh, Turkey hunting is, even the spring hunt, but uh, the fall hunt, even more. It's about this guy sitting behind me. It's about that little boy there. That, that hasn't gone before, and you can go out and have a great time turkey hunting, not see a single turkey, not hear a turkey, just the cool. preparation, getting that dog. Hey, Charlie, get that bag out of the truck. Oh, get it. You know, do you have a gun to take on the Yeah, let's, it's a squirrel gun. Okay, well, if you have some poor shot, bring
3: it on. Let's go. And I think that uh, that's really intriguing. It's more of a social aspect. Exactly. And, um, in the fall, as it is in the spring, you don't have to be near as quiet. You can make a lot of noise. You don't have to be quiet for a a little bit when the birds start calling, coming back. But you don't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning, and go trace them off in the
5: dark, and lose sleep and all of that. Sort of it's stuff. And not air turkey goblins. right? Right. And you can go in the fall and you bust them up, and you you can make that designation.
3: The evening, if you left them at dark, busted. Do I really want to come back in the morning, or just let them get back together and come back two days from now and bust them up again and play hit ring? I'm kind of lazy. I like sleep.
5: <laughs> yes, sir? You you mentioned about writing some articles. Did you write some articles about Mr. Burns making uh, wing bone calls? Yeah. Yeah. I read that article, and I, I remember right. You had a phone number on the bottom of the article. But I called your father one Sunday afternoon, and we talked turkeys on the phone for an hour and a half. You got off short. <laughs> 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 I got his wing bone
2: call. Yeah, it must have been getting close to dinner time or something. <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah. Was it the brass hall with the- no. No, no, I imagine it was, it was a was three stage call
3: bone. with the okay. little the third set, he said. Was it the set? Was it the set or was it just a single call? Single call. Single. Okay, it was a three stage wing bone with the yep. thumb
5: glue yeah, to it
4: for the land leather mm-hmm. on. Yeah. yeah we were just we were just talking about that concerning mr at, at dinner jt and i just my wife cindy just said i said you know i've always said this there should be a place in the dictionary under where it says southern gentleman and there should be a photo of mr john burn there because he was I mean, very gracious, you had questions or anything, and so knowledgeable on just about anything you brought up. Uh,
1: he write, write you a long, long handwritten letter, and I think number, a number of us have those still, you know. Uh, he also had a wicked sense of humor. When I was down in 96, he gave me one of those wing bones. He goes, well, let's see. Let's make this number 17. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as
3: to the collectible value of the number, <laughs> uh, it's anyone's guess.
1: There might be 15 17s out there. Uh, you want
3: you want me to tell you the whole the truth
2: about that? <laughs> the profession comes out. He he started numbering his wing bones and when
3: he started numbering them. He started at one hundred because he didn't know how many he'd made before that. So he started at one hundred, and anybody that had one below one hundred had an original that he didn't ever know So that's, that was the reason he did yeah, this. We'll cool. make this one number
5: 17. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking mine says number nine on <coughs> oh, There you go then, yeah.
1: Yeah. there you go then. Yeah. You're eight ahead
3: of me. I still got probably 150 or 200 of those calls. Some that he had put together, some that he hadn't put together. Some uh, Most of them weren't signed, but he just had them there in a little uh, Tupperware box. He had two boxes of them that he was working on. About
5: an hour and a half telephone conversation made that call a little
1: more special. (laughs) Oh, you were lucky you got away under an hour and a half. I can
5: tell you. So any questions
1: for these guys that we haven't mentioned or gotten to yet?
5: Oh honey, do you hunt different areas trying to bust up
1: the long beards
3: as opposed to them? no, No. I, the, the long doing? beards will stay right along in behind the flock of young birds, and you just I mean, feed them because they're feeding on the same thing. Right. And you're just hoping that you don't hit the young birds before you hit the long beards. Um, but there's a few farms that I do hunt that are just where the long beards prefer to stay, and because um, it's a little bit rougher, a little bit rougher. The young birds will stay closer to the fields, and they'll stay back in a little bit deeper. But in December, when our this year our food was running out, and we were finding a lot of the older birds were feeding on the pawpaws and stuff like that, pawpaw seeds and stuff like that, and um, we were in that to find those. This year we didn't find as many flocks of longbeards as we normally do, Uh, just the way the. It worked out. The previous year we found 16 different flocks of longbeards, and we had
4: 14 parts. Should have had 16, but two people got nervous. How long did it take
3: you Four to five hours. Now we did have one flock that started calling the year before, lasting about two hours. Um, it started snowing, and they started calling. They were gobbling,
5: strutting. Old, like, when you know ago, you scattered long berries,
3: please, do you start uh, About two hours, I just start clucking. Just the old you grass cluck. Yeah, I thought I was just going that. No, no, no. no, no. Um, I usually don't start calling. I usually wait and let the birds start calling. That's and then, you know, I'm not there to have a calling contest, I'm there to come out the woods with the bird. So, why? Until I, unless I know what the dogs busted, and I'll, I'll pay special attention when the dogs are barking, if I can see anything flying, excuse me, and I look to see at the tail fan whether there's long feathers or short feathers. If there's long feathers in the tail, it's young birds. If it's a full, even, it's old birds. So that tells me right there what I need to be doing. And just set that. And actually the hardest bunch of birds to get back is a flock of old hens, nothing but old hens. Because lots of times they won't do anything.
1: They just come inside. And real real subtle calling. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. So um. and of course, you know, those of you who fall turkeys a lot, I mean there's nothing better than a, a group of four or five seven inches. I mean, those jake and a halfs are Very bold. hard goblin. They like to fight, they like to strut. They make a lot of noise. They come fairly readily. Sometimes they tag along with the fall family groups, and that's always a lot of fun. You get like two super jakes in there with the family group. And well, as the food source, as your food dwindles, everything converges on that food source. So there, they'll mix in,
4: and you'll go from having a flock of hen and polks to having everything there from twelve to fourteen birds to twenty birds to forty birds. And I wished I would have had a video camera this fall one day. It was in the fifties, sixties. It was early in December. And we took off down a,
3: a creek bottom and walked out in a cow pasture, just walking along talking, rounded a corner and the two dogs just went ballistic and across the creek they went up the bank and we got to watch the whole thing unfold in a, about a 500 yard climb. These birds were in the creek bottom when the dogs came around, they flipped across the creek, the dogs saw them, went across the creek and started and Jack and Ella took off up that hill and in less time than I've been talking,
2: they were right up in the middle of them and it was about 40 birds, best we
3: could count. And 10 or 12, Broke off and
1: went to the to the left,
3: and the main group just kept trying to get up the ridge. Well, they got to the top of the ridge and stopped. We could see the heads up there. When Jack and them got the got done over here, they come back, hit the track, went again. Those birds split again, and then they went kind of south towards the left part of them did, and then part came back to the right. It took those two dogs about 15 minutes to bust those birds up. And three and a half hours later, everybody started calling, gobbling, and carrying on. And um, we had a good day there, and we filed that one back and went back. And that Freckles dog uh, that you had, Mike, he showed me a lot. That was the first day I hunted him after I got him back from you. And uh, yeah, yeah, he. Uh, we were going down through there, and we got right to the property line. We didn't know who owned the property down below us. We were standing there talking, and all of a sudden, I heard him start barking. I looked about 400 yards on the GPS, and I saw turkeys flying across the creek. And, well, there they are. We can't do anything about it. So we were waiting for him to come back, and I looked on the GPS. He came back up over the top, and here come 18 longbeards. Line, and we could set right on the property line. Well, we sat on the property line that day, and we didn't kill a bird, but we had a lot of them They were calling, gobbling, carrying on, and they they got out there in that open field, and they said, "Okay, here we are. Come on, you can come over here." Nothing they would do. They just going right back to that flashlight. We packed up and come
1: on out. Oh yeah. So how many yeah. different states do we have here for fall turkey dogging? Ohio. Tennessee. Ohio. Yeah. New, York. New
0: York. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed the recording of the seminar. I thought there was some pretty good information in there. You know, it's just a very interesting topic for me, and I know I've mentioned this a few times on the show already, so... I hate to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but one of these days I'm going to get out there and actually experience turkey dogging because I am sure that I'll enjoy it. So hopefully with our show from a couple of weeks ago and with this week's show and then the one that I did with JT Byrne a couple of years ago, hopefully some of you guys are starting to get interested in turkey dogging yourselves and maybe even considering Getting a turkey dog yourself so that you can get out and enjoy the sport anytime you want. That's my hope anyway. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you for one favor this week again, and that favor is to please forward and like the post for this week's episode on social media. If you'll do that for me, it'd be a huge help, and I'd be very appreciative. And here's the part of the show where I say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com